Okay, welcome to the A1 podcast. I have special guest acting city prosecutor Dwight Nadamoto. How's it going, Mr. Nadamoto? Uh, it's going good. Ah, very good. Um, this podcast is a special to talk about the COVID-19 virus and its effects on the judiciary. Uh, my first question for you is super controversial, the emergency release of inmates from in custody. Um, Hawaii has about 800 or so that have been released. Um, through this process, what did, what in your opinion, has been some of the things that have been done well, and what were the things that you'd like to point out that were not done well when it comes to the emergency releases? What has been done well is prisoners have been released. Um, I believe close to or about 500 been, have been released. And whether it has been done well, you know, or it's been a good thing, we'll have to wait and see. But as to what needs to be fixed, um, as I said, I think everything was looked at the front end, getting them loose. Nothing was uh, looked at as to making sure the public is safe once they're loose, um, make sure, sure that um, uh, that they can come back in time uh, to finish their sentence. Uh, as I said, um, when this thing started, um, we wanted three things. You know, we wanted, number one, um, that they be screened to be negative for the COVID-19 uh, virus. And that could be done either one of two ways, quarantine in OCCC or quarantine in a verified residence. The second thing we wanted was a verified residence, some place they could go, some place where they would not have to, uh, you know, sleep on the streets or, in fact, violate the governor's proclamation, some place they would have food and be welcome. And the third thing we wanted uh, was that they be given a time certain to return to finish their sentence. And... The number two one, the verified residence is very important because, um, you know, they have a place to stay. They're not going to have to steal. They're not going to have to rob. They're not going to have to trespass in order to stay alive. And number two, also, when they have to go back to their, uh, finish off their sentence, we can be relatively, well, assured if their um, sponsor, you know, was on the up and up, that they don't have the virus coming back, that they weren't out wandering around the streets that they had a place to go. So when they come back, um, they're free of the virus. I mean, it would be very ironic if they picked up the virus while wandering around the streets and they are the ones who brought it back into the prison. Yeah, and I think that's very important that you you point that out. Um, As of today, it's Thursday the uh, 14th, uh, May 14th, um, there are zero actual confirmed cases within custody and it's important to make sure that it continues to be that way and that actually leads to my next question um given that there aren't any positive tests in custody um just yet do you think the emergency releases have been justified um no i mean but i guess time will tell later on um because I mean, they've been released, and we, you know, and there's been nothing in the prison. So I would say just looking at it like that has been justified. And number two is that there's COVID outside, so, you know, we don't know if they picked it out outside since they have no verified residence. Yeah, testing is going to be super important moving forward because you don't want people who recently got released from, you know, a COVID-free zone 
to be out in the world and then maybe catch it because they don't have shelter and then maybe get rearrested and then go right back in and infect the rest of the facility. Um, do we have any numbers? I know it's early, but do we have any numbers on the amount of people that have been released and then rearrested? See, that's another thing. Number three, whether it's been um, worthwhile or whatever, that's another thing that has to wait because, um, you know, if everybody who released didn't commit any more crimes, came back and finished out the sentence, that's fine. But we know that's not true, you know, because there have been people released who have recommitted crimes. So that's one reason why, or we should, I should say, have been arrested for other crimes. So based upon that, no COVID inside the prison, I would say, you know, it wasn't warranted. Um, and yes, there are, you know, we don't really know how many people have violated. I mean, we have uh, maybe um, filed maybe close to 40 motions to re uh, revoke the release, but that's only the motions we filed. I mean, in other instances, the judge would have just issued a bench warrant. So there could, there's probably more out there. Yeah, that's going to be really important to focus on because you want to make sure that just so that we could learn just in case there's another unforeseen event and you have to have a release of some sort there's a a huge learning opportunity um to make sure that you know whatever was done and could have been improved upon the next time something crazy like this happens because there's always something right um we can go ahead and as the public be safe and the judiciary can go ahead and release people in a you know a modified better fashion yes and as i said um you know a week ago um, government agencies have contacted contacted me about providing services uh, to those inmates who were released and you know we cannot communicate with those inmates and it's uh, as i said interesting that this is called an emergency humanitarian release when they're just being released nothing is given or thought about as to where they're going to stay what they're going to eat um, they weren't given you know go contact this shelter etc etc so in effect you know you know, it's kind of like they're set up to fail. I mean, when you don't take care of everything, this is what's going to happen. I mean, if you give them a place to shelter, at least we know that they're not, out, um, you know, hopefully not violating the governor's stay-at-home order. But when you release them to wherever they are, I mean, who knows what they're going to do and who knows what virus they may, may or not be picking up. Yeah, and uh, for our listeners, I just want to point out that today um, the uh, Sinning County basically extended the stay-at-home slash work-at-home order all the way through to June 30th. They're calling this phase of it the, I forgot what it was, it's like Reopen Honolulu or Hawaii 2.0. They got some catchy phrase for it, but we're still basically on a, um, a lockdown and they're gradually opening up certain sectors of the economy. Um, so yeah, um, I announced this interview, which I'm very happy that you accepted uh, my invitation to be on the podcast, but I announced this on Stolen Stuff Hawaii and we got a lot of Stolen Stuff Hawaii questions. So um, the first Stolen Stuff Hawaii question is, um, what made news was a guy named Mark Lyons. He's one of those guys who's always getting arrested. He has over 300 arrests, um, particular to COVID-19. He got on a bus, didn't want to wear the protective face mask, um, used his crutches to like 
assault the poor bus driver, hit him in the face, and then bang the door as he got out. Um, and there's a lot of concern about people who are continually being arrested and then somehow being released. Um, so my question is to you, um, how do you stop that cycle of problematic people always getting in trouble and getting arrested and then released and then arrested and then released and so on? Well, you know, I, I don't know. Okay, so one thing, I guess he was probably arrested for a violation of the of the governor's um, order. That's probably what it was, or a mis. Oh, they they filed new charges on him uh, because he he hit the the poor bus driver. <laughs> it, it, so so it was like op interfering with uh, a transit operator and then criminal property damage. That was like um, what I read online. Okay, so I guess it kind of depends on um, if those you know like if they're misdemeanors, what usually happens is the bail is set. And the police will set the bail upon arrest, and he could make bail, and then he'd be released. Um, I guess that would be the problem. And if it's like a, a felony, I'm not quite sure what that charge is, then we would have to go to, you know, information and complaint because there's no grand jury now. But we would have to go to um, what is called preliminary hearing. And so, I, you know, I would think that the charge was not a felony or, um, you know, because of this COVID thing, you know, we're – you know, trying not to, the courts are, or the prisons are not wanting to get a lot of people. But in this case, if he's deemed a danger, I would say, yeah, you know, we'll arrest him and we'll charge him. But then bail will be set, as you know, and we'll probably get another one of these hearings. And, you know, we filed close to 500 motions, you know, objecting to these releases. And, you know, mm -hmm. we lose just about every one. Wow. Yeah, crazy. There definitely needs to be like an intermediary, people who are charged with, upon release, getting like inmates or newly released inmates like dialed in with like maybe IHS, uh, maybe making sure that they could um, f get fast tracked for like food stamps, just really basic stuff. But that seems to be kind of like a blind spot in the system. Do you know of any like services that maybe the public defender added on top of, or maybe they do themselves to make sure that people get more dialed in and, you know? You know, they can contact uh -huh. the shelters, IHS. I mean, you know that, you know, but that's not their concern. Their concern is just getting them out. They're, they're not concerned about where they're going to go. Mm -hmm. I mean, apparently. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, there's, I mean, because like you know, there's people. Who, there was one person who was, um, uh, who had beat a 74 year old man with a golf club. You know, hit him so hard he broke the golf club. Okay. Mm -hmm. He got released during COVID. Yeah, that's another really frustrating thing, and it's mentioned all the time um, in the articles that I read in California as well as New York. The, the, the point of the release was to release the non-violent offenders that were likely to return to court, yet no matter what, there always seems to be clearly, obviously, like violent people who get released. I have... Yeah, I have no idea how that keeps happening. Well, you know, I mean, the, the judges have the discretion. I mean, mm. I mean, you know, you can easily say, you know, this guy hit somebody with a baseball, I mean, with a golf club. He's clearly violent. Okay, you can say uh -huh. this person is accused of assault. He's violent. But, you know, 
And, you know, the thing is, oh, we just want to release the nonviolent people. Well, first of all, violent people are being released. And second of all, who's nonviolent? We don't know who's nonviolent. Mm-hmm. That's not an easy thing to say. I mean, was it last mm-hmm. week, two weeks ago, the guy got picked up for criminal property damage in the fourth degree and a harassment? Mm-hmm. He got arrested. His bail was set at, I believe, $500. Um, wow. You know, within an hour, he was ROR'd. A couple of days later, he stabbed somebody. Now he's charged with attempted. Uh, now he's charged with murder. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not an easy thing to say who's vi- who's non-violent. I mean, violent. You can say this person is violent because of his past. But who's non-violent? You know, he has a drug problem that could cause him to be violent. You know, if he doesn't get his drugs, and you would may look at it, and you only have like a, you know, shoplifting or, a, you know. CTV and say, ah, he's not, you know, he's not violent, but that's not an easy thing. And to say, you know, these people who have these type of offenses, they're presumed to be nonviolent. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's definitely something to think about because we have what's traditionally defined as violent. However that still doesn't mean that somebody's not capable later of committing a violent act. There is a, there is a huge dilemma when it comes to how we define it. And then there's really no way to predict moving forward what could happen. So that's a huge problem. That's absolutely a huge problem. So another Stolen Stuff Hawaii question, which um, got a lot of attention. Um, basically, there's a lot of like break-ins into cars and um, the charge, UCPV, a lot of times, and and I don't know this to be true, but this is just the sentiment of the people on the community. A lot of people have tried to make reports. Uh, Maybe they have like, you know, video footage of somebody breaking into their cars, Um, but then the person who gets sort of like arrested for that, um, they say, oh wait, I thought I had permission, and they call it the good uh, faith defense. And it's the perception on the community that a lot of times that, oh, because they say that, now the prosecutor's office doesn't actually charge people because they can't um, get a conviction in court. So I'd like you to add some color onto that process. And is it true? Does the prosecutor's office not prosecute uh, some cases because of this good faith defense problem? Um, yeah, I mean, if that's what you want to call it. I mean, because of the statute, it says intentionally or knowingly, right? So they mm-hmm. have to know intentionally or knowingly that they don't have, um, author- excuse me, authorization to drive the vehicle. So, you know, I don't, I believe it was like HPD, which we were supporting this, this legislature, we were trying to get a bill passed, which would make a, a UCP, UCPV tool instead, also, I should say wherein the state of mind would just have to be reckless. So that would have allowed us to, um, you know, charge a lot more cases. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the ledge is off right now, so we don't know what's going to happen with that. Oh, wow. So that, that's something that could happen, a new uh, modification, a new charge, so that people could... Like get... a UCPV2, instead of, you know, a second degree instead of a first degree. Uh-huh. Oh, would it be a misdemeanor? Yeah. Yeah, I think it would be a misdemeanor, but, you know, we could also fine-tune it and, you know, maybe if this person has two of those, we could try and bump it up to, a, you know, charge him with a felony. I mean, because, you know, when we charge a case, we have to believe that we can prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I, I didn't know I didn't know that was like I, I mean I, I saw the community and I saw because you know sometimes online you don't know what you can believe what you can't believe but so it's true people could just kind of BS their way and say hey I thought I had permission and then that could like sometimes help them not get charged upon a lot of things like if uh-huh. the if the key is punched of course we could probably would charge it if the guy is seen breaking into it we can charge it we would charge mm-hmm. it and maybe if he's caught driving it soon after he you know it, it was stolen, we can charge it. But, you know, if it's, um, you know, like a day later and the, and the car's perfectly fine, the guy's driving it, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, sometimes it is hard to charge. And that's why we we're trying to get supporting other bills so we could charge those cases. Wow. Yeah, definitely. I, I support the modification so that, you know, no. Nobody wants to constantly be living in fear of being like broken into in their home or, you know, fearing that if they leave their car out on the street or even if it's kind of like, you know, in their driveway, that someone's just going to go case them up, you know, break their glass. They got to file an insurance claim and then they got like they don't have access to their car for a few weeks as they like repair the window because that's happened to me as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, if we think we can charge, we can prove the case, we'll charge it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's but the, the problem is what I told you. The car is perfectly fine. I mean, if the guy somehow got the keys and is driving it around, those cases are hard to charge. Wow, crazy. Um, so, um, next question for you. An- another like kind of big issue online is a lot of people feel as though you know they're honest, everyday people, and you know they want to go work out. They want to go be in the park. They want to go to the beach. We all know we're supposed to be sheltering, but the laws are kind of fuzzy as to, oh, you could be out, but you have to be actively fishing or in the water. If you're on the beach, you can't cruise on the beach too long. They'll say like, oh, you're you're not sheltering in place. And then there's that being contrasted with the release of inmates. You know what I mean? So for people online, they see, wait a minute, I'm a law-abiding citizen, and now I'm having to deal with possible arrest or citation, and then we have people being released who were arrested, who are pending trial. Um, or were convicted. Or were, or, or were convicted. So um, because of what has happened lately, you see a lot of videos with people being really argumentative, and there's kind of like protests, there's civil unrest. How do you, as city prosecutor, deal with what's happening on the public safety side for COVID uh, versus what's happening also with the releases. It's a crazy dynamic. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, you know, we oppose those releases. Uh, you know, as I told you, we wanted anybody's going to release, we wanted case by case, negative for the virus, verified residents, you know, and the you know, date certain to return. That's what we wanted. We didn't get it, of course. Um, and, you know, I guess one of the things we might have to start looking at, and I don't know if it can be done, is um, letting the police know um, who was um, let loose due to COVID. So if they happen to cite them for a not sheltering thing, that we can move to um, set aside their release. Yeah. As to the the citizens, I mean, I mean, it, the governor's proclamation is what it is. I mean, if they're exercising, if they're walking. You know, they should be fine. Okay, so 
Um, last uh, question for you. This was a COVID-19 special, but I did want to kind of lead into just the general election because we have a varied field. Um, some would say we have an activist candidate, we have a public defender candidate, we have two um, highly competent private attorneys running, um, and we have another uh, criminal defense attorney. Um, with so many different options, uh, what differentiates you and why should people vote for you for city prosecutor? Well, that's all I've been, you know. 30 years I've been a prosecutor. I've done all kinds of cases. I've done a white, white collar cases. I've done murder cases, police corruption, and organized crime. I've done trials. And I've done, you know, I appear before the Supreme Court, white Supreme Court, argued cases. You know, I'm not a defense attorney who wants to become a prosecutor. I'm not somebody who has supported laws which have made violent repeat drug offenders eligible for probation. I have always uh, been for and thought of put first public safety. I've done that for over 30 years. And I don't think anybody else can say that. Very good. Thank you very much for participating in the podcast. Stay safe. And um, if people want to find out more about your campaign, uh, where could they go? Um, com. Ah, there we go. Okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome. All right, cool.